global food conglomerates or auto conglomerates or electronics businesses, they're being disrupted by faster moving internet based companies that are appealing to really specific niches. And so if you start with the negative experiences people are having and then add that to your product roadmap as a larger business, you can really start to see the tides turn. What's interesting about beauty is you have to be continually reinventing yourself. And you have to do everything well because of how fast that industry moves. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about product innovation in commerce for consumer brands specifically. It's a great episode. You do not want to miss it. Do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear firsthand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, I want to just build a freaking successful business. We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. As you continue to grow your e-commerce business, access to growth capital would increasingly play a significant role in achieving and surpassing your financial and social goals. Why should you give up equity or pay high interest rates to grow your business? There is a new way to access growth capital that transforms e-commerce businesses. Wayflyer has shaken the way e-commerce operators access working capital. With a dedication to only D2C e-commerce businesses, Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer fund-as-you-grow model, meaning if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just a simple fee and the funds you need to grow are deposited to your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R. Welcome, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunay Campbell, and this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Each week, I try and bring an expert, you know, um, whether it's a founder expert, whether it's an expert expert that is a subject matter expert or a um, representative from a best-in-class SaaS, e-commerce SaaS platform that has access to a lot of e-commerce data that they can share with you guys for one purpose, and that's growth. In fact, if I was to rename this podcast, I'll just call it e-commerce growth. But it is 2x e-commerce, 2x e-commerce, and that's why we're here every week. We turn up every week. Um, this this podcast we tend to publish every Saturdays now. 
Um, so you have a lot of content over the weekend to go through. And um, on this, on today's episode, I thoroughly, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this one. It was with a, 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 a product expert. Um, his name is Oren Scorable. Now, um, I thought we were going to be talking about his cannabis brand, but apparently over a, within a three-year period, he'd been part of this cannabis brand that exited um, via IPO and through roll-up. So they, they emanate, you know, a, a number of, um, you know, other, um, they, they acquired a number of cannabis brands were big enough to, to exit within three years. And I, I just found that phenomenal for him being part of that experience, but he's a product guy. So we talk about product innovation in this podcast. We, we, we went through, um, a lot, um, where it's like we talked about differentiation, how you should take, you know, innovation in terms of like the iterations, how, um, you know, teams that have lagged in innovation or, you know, um, um, R&D can sort of revive it, what to do when you merge, you know, a business, how you treat the, the you know, the merged entities in the sense that, you know, where do you keep innovation? Um, we, we talk about intricacies of mergers and M&A deals, you know, in e-commerce, um, where he talks about where just the current state of crowdfunding and where all that traffic and interest from crowdfunding is now evolving to how to launch a brand. Um, we, we, it was a deep convo and it resonates with me because you know i'm part of um, i'm a co-founder at octillion capital partners and we are like a consumer brand platform that's going through m a and um innovation is very critical in what we do and everything we this convo we had i just resonated with with everything um and he he also talks about like a unique approach to product development, just his methodology on, on, on the cadence on product development. And we go into niches, you know, you know, what your product development look like if you're a beauty business, what your product development look like if you were, um, you know, a, a food or a drinks business, you know, all of that stuff. Um, I, I, he is a very clever individual. He was not making anything on the, on the, on, on the spot. He was speaking from an, from an experience, from, from experience. Um, so yeah, Good, good, good episode. I would um, encourage you to to listen if all I've just said resonates with you. <laughs> um, if if all that resonates with you, then um, definitely, definitely give this one a listen. It is Oren Scorable. Enjoy this episode. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get going faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chubbies. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com forward slash 2x.
Hello, Oren. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. Awesome. So excited to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Um, let's start out with you. Do you want to sort of give us a, a brief um, just overview about, um, you know, who Oren is and um, what you're up to? Sure. Uh, so I, I started, started my career in graphic design uh, as a designer kind of agency side. I uh, became a creative director um, with agencies working mostly in uh, kind of lifestyle brands like liquor and um, you know fashion and things of that nature. And then uh, I went over to the brand side and I was a, a sales and marketing executive at uh, various you know, CPG and consumer electronics brands. And the last few years, uh, I did a public company roll-up um, with, with some partners where we you know, put a bunch of acquisitions and mergers together in the in the cannabis space in particular uh, with a company called Unrivaled. And then we took that onto the public markets last July. Um, and then we operated that for about nine months. Now it's got a, uh, you know, a, a leadership team that is, you know, kind of focused on, on taking that forward. And, you know, I'm, I'm back, uh, back again, you know, looking at various product opportunities and kind of marketing opportunities, you know, in, in different spaces. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I run a community called uh, product people with a website called product world that helps entrepreneurs, uh, dive into either selling products for the first time, or if you sell existing products, expanding and making them better and, and finding better margins. Um, yeah, and that's the, the short recap. Let's, let's, let's take that back a little, little bit. You've taken a, a company public. Is, is, is that right? Yes, sir, it is. With all the ups and downs okay. that come with it. <laughs> that, that's a lot of respect. You know, I have a lot of respect for you. And um, it's actually a pioneering, you know, company. It's it's a cannabis company. Obviously, um, cannabis was recently legalized in, you, you're based out in California. At the time, you were based out in California, right? Yep, indeed. And I, and I still am here in Orange County. Uh, okay, yeah. you are. Okay. And then you just you jumped on the industry tailwind with 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 cannabis with cannabis's you know legalization and you, you managed to take it public in, in how many years? Uh, yeah, so we basically we, we started the process of this about maybe three and a half years ago, and so and it took about two years of and there was an initial merger with three companies, uh, and then okay. we did a merger with an existing kind of public shell, uh, kind of a reverse merger. With uh, you know, in, in July of last year, and then acquired kind of a emerged with a series of companies, you know, in, in the few months after that, uh, and so yeah, all in all, it was about a, a two years from the initial concept of rolling up some of these companies to, to executing it. There's a lot of people involved <laughs> along the way, uh, and it's an exciting industry, obviously, with a lot of um, you know people that are interested in participating in it, and a lot of attention from the stock market. Obviously, this this last uh, few months or so is a complicated time to have had a, a public vehicle with what's happening in, in the stock market. So, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and the cannabis space is still you know generally in flux all the time. So, it was a, a great experience, and I think uh, and the overall project got a lot of traction. And I feel like I, I learned a lot of things, and now you know, looking at you know how I can help other entrepreneurs who are looking to do similar things, whether it's they're doing their own roll ups or acquisitions, or looking to go public, or they're just looking mm-hmm. for some insights because we crammed a lot of product development and work and experimentation in industry into a relatively short amount of time. Incredibly short amount of time. And I really like to speak to to that bit of um, you know, what your your, your career really in, in in this episode. But let's let's get into your current project. Um it is um it's it's the you know your your product community essentially you're building out. Um why why the focus on 
on product development, physical product development. Um, why, why do you think that there is an opportunity? Why build an opportunity? Why, why build a community rather than build a company? I, I just like to, to get into your, yeah. your, your mode of thinking right now. No, no, no problem. And so I think there's a couple things that I've noticed as I've been working at all these kind of larger brands and then over into, you know, what we did the last few years is I basically noticed this trend of, uh, of these companies that are able to move much faster and achieve much better margins and results who are essentially global companies. So the idea that if you can go direct to factory in China or in, you know, in Pakistan or a place that is expert at making the product that you want to make and skip out any middlemen, um, things of that nature, you can optimize your margins in a way that just never existed before Alibaba and some of these platforms that have enabled connections between East and West. And then at the same time, you can also work with experts at various price points and with various opportunities inside markets overall. And so, for instance, like one of the companies I work with has designers that are in uh, Eastern Europe. They have developers that are in India. They produce their products in Hong Kong. And they have a team that's in the UK and the US that manages the majority of the day-to-day operations of the business. And, mm-hmm. I, and they're all playing to their strengths. They actually sell products um, on Amazon in Europe specifically because they look at, uh, they've seen that Amazon Europe is less well-developed than Amazon US. And so there's these people who can think uh, and and develop these kind of new relationships in this in this new world that you know, I think provide a really interesting opportunity. So I kind of saw that coming together. And then the other kind of key philosophy uh, is just this idea that you know all of these large companies that we grew up with, you know, whether global food conglomerates or auto conglomerates or electronics businesses, they're being disrupted by faster moving internet based companies that are appealing to really specific niches. And so for any entrepreneur now. I feel like there's the ability to create a million to $5 million business in a specific niche that serves someone's needs very well, that is a great business that they can kind of keep going and keep cash flow positive, and in a way that just never existed before. So I created this community mainly because I didn't have the need to kind of create some big company, and I wasn't ready to jump back into running another kind of large operation. And I thought that uh, I'd rather share some of these ideas that I have and share some of these practices, work with some of these various entrepreneurs, and then see where it goes, um, because I think it's an interesting time to, you know, really sit back and look at the trends that are unfolding in front of us and, and kind of plan a correct next move. And, uh, and it's been really great just being able to talk to so many interesting businesses and ideas and help them connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Also quite impactful, um, you know, um, just being able to, I can imagine how many new products and companies you've you've birthed from from the community from the impact you're making on, on the community at, at um, a one-to-many um, level incredible stuff okay um product sourcing um not just product sourcing but product development um you know varies from you know industry to industry you, you've had industrial experience um i believe you've you've been involved in 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 aerospace at some point in your career um, and that varies to to like a CPG food brand. Um, are there any sort of first principle thinking um, or pillars of thinking you you think you um, that sort of resonate um, regardless of um, the product you're trying to bring to market or bring to life? What 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 should you know entrepreneurs or you know product builders um, just have as a foundation? Um, foundation from an approach to, 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 to bring in, you know, any product to life? No, for sure. So I think that uh, one of the biggest ones is just differentiation and something people don't think about, you know, it's, it seems almost like common sense, but often 
uh, it's, it's something that entrepreneurs struggle with, where you say, if I'm going into a niche, whether it's aerospace or whether it's a you know, protein bar, it's how am I going to stand out from the products that are around me on the market? And so what I like to present to people is almost a matrix of how you can stand out. And you can look at things like price. You could say, all right, I'm going to have the cheapest thing on the market or I'm going to have the most expensive thing on the market. And then you can think about customer experience. You know, I'm going to go for the best taste or the best performance, you know, and then justify a certain price. Uh, then you can also think about niche. You can say, I want to appeal to people from specific cultural backgrounds or in specific regions or who purchase things because of their values, like sustainability or you know, women-owned businesses. You know, there's all kinds of different angles with which you can help stand out. And so I like to kind of challenge entrepreneurs in categories or people with companies who don't seem to have the traction that they want, is that how do you differentiate? And that answer is, you know, the best answer, it's always the same across any industry, is product experience. If you just have an amazing experience with your product, if you have the, the best thing that you can buy in that category, uh, that's, you know, you can think of an iPhone or a Tesla or, you know, uh, some, you know, really popular examples in, in food and beverage, then you're going to be able to succeed because people love your product. And getting there is always the number one thing. But if you can't do that, or if there's it's challenges to it, how do you find and zone in on these particular list of things, you know, around your price point, around your experience, around your niche, around your presentation, uh, to make sure that you have an, an anchor that makes your product different. And then once you have that, a lot of it comes down to the marketing of actually letting people know that difference, which is another place where kind of entrepreneurs fall. Well, they may make something that is really compelling to a set user, but they're not explaining it to them in a way they understand. They're not putting themselves in the customer's shoes. And you really have to work through every touch point that a potential customer has with your brand to say, how are we getting this differentiation message across in a way that matters to that customer? So those are the kind of general things that I would say really come up all the time when talking to people about making products, regardless of industry. Uh, differentiation is 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 like super important, and I like the the breakdown you you know you you you've just um you know um provided um in regards to you know the 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 niche you know um the price point, and and, and the, the 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 other points you you made, um so when you differentiate um the other thing is just like having the expertise to um to to producing you know the product or producing the experience you're you're looking to to innovate on um yeah. is is that when you what's your take on you know getting experts and and how do you if 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 experts are your thing in terms of like recruiting you know an expert how do you work with that expert to 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 deliver on the desired results you know to 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 get on something truly different and um you know to and and competitive something that'll really compete in, in 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 the market yeah so maybe it's a little less towards working with an expert but i do think that the number one exercise that i think someone should go through when they're trying to create something differentiated whether you're you yourself are working directly with a factory or you're working with a designer or you're working with a team is uh is i basically call this you know i i do a lot of products that are selling amazon so we refer to it as an amazon exercise but uh basically just if you were to order something in your in your niche, whether that's a car or whether it's a you know a, a light or, or anything, think of that. And I ask people to document the entire experience. I mean, from literally step one. So say, okay, if I want to purchase this, how do I start? Do I search on Google? And then once I go there, what kind of website do I go to? And then as I check out, you know, what messages are given to me, and then what emails do I receive? And then when I actually get my package. How is it packaged? Is there enough room in the package? You know, what, what is on the packaging? What does the manual look like when I open it up? How are things wrapped? And then how do I actually use it? And really going through every single step of, okay, from ordering to receiving to using it for the first time, 
to using it multiple times and then starting to think about, well, what does my experience look like using this a year or two from now and documenting that entire process out. And then looking when you do that documentation of, okay, where is this bad? You know, where, when I opened this box, was there too much room or did something break or did the user manual not clear or did I not get a series of emails explaining to me how I use the product or, and really identifying all those weaknesses inside that entire process. And I think, well, one of the really particularly good ones is, is the longevity is saying, okay, I bought a blender, but in two years, am I worried about it breaking? What would it, what would come to the point of, of doing that? And I think if you sit down with an expert or the team or the factory and really break down that entire process and say, here's where we need to be great. And here's what the, and here's what the standard is of what exists already. You can find the opportunities to make your product better. And, uh, and it's, it's an exercise that requires painstaking detail. You need to really look at every, you can't, remove any stage from it, from how hard a box is to open to, you know, what does your power cord adapter look like, you know, or, or any one of those things, or, hey, do we include an ability to, is a social media listed on the, like any little item. Uh, and so I, but I think it drives a ton of value. And if you're thinking of developing a product in any industry, just do that exercise. And if it's a cheap product, do it multiple times with multiple brands. If it's expensive, you know, do it once or simulate it. But that's kind of the crucial exercise to do, whether yourself or with experts, to really find out where you can improve your experience. Interesting. Um, there's a famous, um, you know, SaaS, um, you know, um, quote, which is like, um, if you want to build a product, product that would be 10x, you know, better than than what's out there, but by uh, the competition and in the physical world, I would think it's different. So my question really is, what magnitude of differentiation should be, you know, the the absolute minimum, or what should you know, entrepreneurs or, or creators look to, um, to, 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 to aim for from, from a differentiation magnitude? Yeah, so I think it's a sliding scale um, based on how big you want your business to be. You know, when I, when I end up talking to businesses, they fall in kind of one of two categories. One is people that are trying to build a one to $5 million a year business that cash flows really well, that they can keep small, but makes really good money. And with that kind of business where you sell on maybe direct-to-consumer, Amazon, some light stores, or some medium-sized retail distribution, um, you don't need to 10x the quality of the experience. What you need to do is 1.5x the quality of the experience for a specific niche or with a specific differentiator. And that's a great mm -hmm. business for most people to build. And you know, there it's a really interesting opportunity for a lot of people. Uh, and then you can do that exercise I meant, you can yeah, that I mentioned. You can find six or eight things to improve. You can do them slightly better and you're off to the races. Uh, but then if you want to create a much bigger business, so this is the other side of people I talk to who say, hey, I want to dominate this industry. I want to create a really large business that we can become a $100 million business and you know, we're going to do mergers along the way and we're going to really own this product category. That's when you have to have that, that higher amount of differentiation. And 10x in a physical product world is a lot, may almost be impossible, but you know, two or three X is, uh, or just a unbelievable differentiation on one point, like, wow, this price is just unbelievable. Or the, the customer service and white glove experience I get is incredible, right? Uh, or, you know, there's something that really stands out where maybe it's more like a two and a half X, three X or something uh, much better. Mm -hmm. That's where I think you need to do to build a huge brand at this point. Um, because otherwise you're, you, you'll get to a certain point of resonance, but if it doesn't move on its own, if people don't recommend it to other people because of how great the experience is, I think it's very hard to get to that hundred million dollar range. Um, but mm -hmm. luckily we have that scale depending on where you want to live. Mm -hmm. So what are the critical points in a physical, physical product experience, um, or selling experience and, you know, usability experience that, um, 
you know, um, listeners should be very aware of that can resonate well with with optimization um, because this is like a, an assessment and optimization exercise, really, where you're really auditing what is out there and um, you're, you're you're trying to to innovate. Um, so. Yeah, so one of the biggest areas I see for innovation in that space, there's a lot of areas you can focus on, but one that I think is really relevant right now is uh, is like documentation and content and enablement, really, I think is the right term, where if you sell someone some fitness equipment, anyone can buy a kettlebell or some weights or a machine. But if I buy it from a company that provides me with, oh, it comes included with 100 videos uh, that are of different exercises I can use on it from a, you know, from a, a TikTok fitness influencer that I might know. You know, or, uh, hey, I, I'm buying an espresso machine and it comes with really in-depth content analysis on how you become amazing at that and how you, you know, refine your grind and pick your beans and, and different experiences you can have with it. Uh, you know, same thing, even any nutritional product and it comes with, you know, diet plans or information on supplements or, you know, meditation routines or whatever it is. I think that's a huge opportunity right now because it's not as much about the product itself as it is about the person's experience with the product. And it doesn't have a physical cost. It has the cost of either taking existing content and paying for it or developing content once you use forever. And I think that that's a really interesting point a lot of entrepreneurs can look at that's really relevant to this kind of TikTok, Instagram dominant world we live in today uh, that I think you can use to stand out by just providing a lot of enablement and documentation and people feeling excellent about their experience. And in a similar vein, the other one is customer support. I think you can take almost any industry, whether you're selling shoes or whether you're in real estate or any of those things and say, hey, we're going to offer the best customer experience you can possibly think of. You're never going to hit a chat bot. You're always going to get a human 24 hours a day who is excited to talk to you, who will walk you through whatever you need. If you say we're going to bear the costs of offering that level of customer service, I think you can differentiate in almost any industry because a lot of, there's a certain customer base who says, I'd rather pay the extra money to just ensure I am good no matter what. And so that there's always someone who can take care of those problems. And so I think those are two interesting opportunities that you can apply to almost any product. It's interesting you mentioned the the availability, you know, the, the chance availability. Um, do, do you think it would lend itself to a certain sophistication in other products? You know, so if like you're selling apparel, um, it might be different to if you're like selling an electronic device that uh, obviously requires a lot of settings and what, what have not. Yeah, so, yeah, I think. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's uh, that was my question. Yeah, so, all right, so I think um, I think it's yes. Obviously, the more complicated products are going to need more of that service level. But just even um, you know, the apparel one's an interesting one because a friend of mine uh, he bought some expensive jeans from this company, Rag and Bone, the other the other uh, like a month ago. And, rag and, and bone, he was trying yeah. to yeah, he was trying to return them. And was just in an infinite loop of customer service people that didn't speak good enough English that would take two or two days to, re to respond. And he was really frustrated because he's like, look, I spent $350 on this or whatever it is. Like, it's way too expensive for the, this isn't the experience it should be. And so I think that with almost any product, especially if there has some degree of returns, there is that differentiation. And the one I think yeah. that uh, most of us don't think about, especially if we're younger, that's really important is, is providing that experience for people that are in their 60s and older, where screens and small type is hard. They may not know how to use an app. They may not, they just want a number they can call at any period of the day to figure out what their problem is. And I think that if you look at your demographic for who's buying your product and they skew heavily 60 and older, or they skew 30% 60 and older, then mm -hmm. you have a huge opportunity in customer service. And for yeah. them, uh, they will, they're a natural recommendation engine to other people in their age bracket in a way that, you know, uh, we consume so much as younger people that it's, 
uh, you really have to stand out for me to recommend something to somebody. But I think for in the older demographic, there's a lot more word of mouth sales. So I do think that there's that accessibility opportunity as well. Interesting. Interesting. And then um, for listeners in in this podcast, typically operators um, that are lagging. So, you know, listeners who, who um, innovation is, is lagging or R and D is lagging. How does, you know, an existing, um, you know, consumer brand to revive, you know, that um, innovation and, you know, and, and ensure that, um, you know, their, their, their challenges once again, um, how do you sort of infuse um, you know, this mentality of, of iteration and, um, you know, just putting something better out there, um, to, to an existing team or, um, yeah, or, or a founder who's, who thinks they, they, they've, they've lost their way, um, in the market. Yeah. And so, uh, it's funny, I, uh, I go through this a decent amount with medium sized businesses and, I basically, I usually ask those businesses to do that exercise we just mentioned with their own products mm-hmm. and with their competitors. So say you're working with Adidas. I would say, all right, cool. We're going to go purchase six products that are you know, mar- marquee products of ours. We're going to have different people do it. We're going to document the steps all along the way. And then we're going to do the same thing with New Balance and a couple of comp- and Diodora, whoever. And we're mm-hmm. really going to document that and then just make that matrix of what was worse, what was better, and then start looking at what can we lean into or not. Uh, so I think there's just undergoing that thinking process of how we sell versus how other people sell is useful because you you never make time to do that on your own without some some impetus to say we need to really reflect on this uh, so i think that's one mm-hmm. another one that i've been encouraging for some of those businesses too is they always figure like oh we have to make some giant change in our product roadmap or make some big new product that's going to take r&d for years but in our current world people are used to seeing short-term consumables they're used to seeing a drop or something where you say, hey, I'm going to sell this thing. We're going to sell a thousand of them and then it's gone. And I encourage larger companies to do that as experimentation or for feedback and say, hey, you don't have to develop this whole product. What you can do is say, I'm going to, we're going to make a subset of it. It's affordable for them in context to make a hundred of a thing or a thousand of a thing. We're going to sell it to our passionate customers and then we're going to make sure to get feedback on it. And, uh, and I like to talk a lot about unscalable feedback. Everyone always wants to make processes that scale and use surveys. I'm like, no, let's have someone who cares, an executive or a customer service person, call those 100 customers and have a real conversation with them. And even if you only get a hold of 10, that level of feedback you get from those hour-long conversations will really inform you know, what, what people need. Uh, the other place I, I encourage people to go to for um, feedback on their industry and niches is Reddit and TikTok. Uh, if you go into mm-hmm. Reddit and you search you know, um, your brand name or your category name and, and you search... Uh, you know, just the word angry or problem, you're going to come up with hundreds of threads of people describing exactly why they don't like something about your industry or a problem they have with a product. And that should literally be your product roadmap, should be solving the problems people are complaining about online. It's the same exact thing with TikTok. People go on there all the time and complain about shipping times, this didn't work or that didn't work. And so if you start with the negative experiences people are having and then add that to your product roadmap as a larger business, you can really start to see the tides turn. Uh, and then it goes the same mm. thing with looking at experiences they really like. If you go onto any of those platforms and you search, you know, best camera, best whatever it is, and start looking at why those really articulate users are making videos or writing posts about a specific thing, you can also use that for your product roadmap. Oh, these are the things that actually resonate with my customers so much, they feel like they have to write about it or make a video about it online. And I think that's what's amazing about this new economy is all this is just available to you 
It's just a matter of saying, we're going to go find solutions and we're going to go find things that we need to incorporate into our product roadmap and then making that jump. Mm. Super, super interesting there. Um, really very customer centric. Yeah. And I think everything needs to be customer centric, right? We're so used to yeah. being catered to now. Yeah. 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 Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with a subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention 2x e-commerce podcast for two months free that is gorgeous.com for two months free just mention 2x e-commerce um so with regards to um supply chains you know so with with covid um there it, it just amplified the importance of diversifying, you know, um, supply chains, you know, and in fact, some, some, um, some, 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 some brands have um, started to to think about okay, let's let's try and get some localized, you know, um, you know, local manufacturers. What well, what's your take on on that? Is you know, you you mentioned earlier, you know, um, you know, um, just having um you know factories and you, know, you talked about bangladesh and you know china and, and the rest um is is there is there is 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 there a use case for 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 having local 
um, supply chains in, in the U.S. and North America? What 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 is the landscape right now post post COVID? So I think there's a number of uses for that. And so the first is, I mean, almost any food and beverage product is better off local. Um, and yeah. so that's a, a great place to always look for that. Uh, the other option is if your customer base is going to, if made in America is going to resonate with them, then that's always an option and you're going to pay more, but that is what it is. But the other one that I, I find, and I recommend this a lot to, to entrepreneurs starting kind of newer businesses is that it's hard to get, uh, you can't get a factory international to say they want to partner with you on something to say, Hey, guess what? You know, we'll take some equity into, into produce some things for you at a lower cost. That's not going to happen with a factory in China or in Hong Kong. But if you go down the street to whoever you're working with locally, say you're in Minneapolis and you find a producer of the thing that you want, you might be able to actually work out a deal with them that is beneficial to both of you and they'll see your vision and, and work with you on it. I think that's the biggest opportunity working with domestic, whether you're in Europe or whether you're in uh, the US, is that you can actually forge partnerships with some of these, these folks that whether it helps you with R&D or helps you with funding or it just makes a difference to you to be able to walk in there every day. Uh, for a lot of people, that's worth the additional cost that you're going to save going overseas. And I think the key challenge domestically is that there is no Alibaba, right? I can go and find a manufacturer for anything on internationally, and I can see how well vetted they are, and they're probably going to be great. In America, you're digging through Google at best to find that, uh, you know, and right. and you're going and these people may not even have a website, and so how do you kind of find that? And so. There are some companies that are trying to bridge that gap, and I think that's an interesting opportunity for for SaaS. Yeah, absolutely. And what are some of the the best or most interesting deal structures you've seen with um, with companies, with consumer brand companies? Um, you know, brokered uh, bro brokering with, um, with with manufacturers or yeah, with manufacturers, um, with local manufacturers, what, you know, uh, have they been largely equity? Have they, you know, um, been better pay payment terms? Yeah, more often what I've seen is kind of product splits. Um, so I've seen a lot more equity deals right now with like industrial design firms and agencies who would typically say, mm -hmm. hey, it's going to be $25,000, $50,000 a month to work with us. We'll go, hey, it'll be $5,000, but we want 15% of your business or whatever it is. I think that's becoming mm -hmm. more common. Uh, and who makes the who makes that the the proposition is is it typically the the the, the brand or the the agencies? It's typically the brand because I think that okay. they'll say, hey, we doesn't we don't have the budget to retain someone like this, and but okay. we can offer them the, if they see the vision, they can offer the upside. But for manufacturers, a lot of what I end up seeing is that they don't the manufacturers need money too. It's a complicated industry. They have less of an ability with their business to to just say, oh, we're gonna you know, do equity for these products. But they'll do more like, okay, cool, we're going to do a split on sales where we'll fund some of that inventory to get things rolling. And we'll be able to expand and scale your inventory without you having to worry a lot about cash flow. But we're going to get our money right away. And, you know, and so we're going to kind of pay that back or do splits regularly is something I see more and more common. I don't think it's super common mm -hmm. by any means. But those are the mm -hmm. kind of things that you can take to a local factory, especially once you develop a good relationship or they see some traction and say, hey, I don't want to have to go raise money to scale my inventory can we scale mm. this together and work out a profit split? And I think that's a intriguing option for any of those manufacturers, right? Because they don't want, they want you to succeed. So you continue buying more product. So how can you kind of work mm -hmm. that out? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, how do you weave a story into the utility of a product or, um, yeah, into the utility, utility of a product, you know, sometimes, you know, as you said, um, 
the experience a product delivers, does the you know um, the, the more viral marketing on itself, the word of mouth marketing. But how do you we what, what are some of the best use cases you've seen with with brands telling you know a very coherent story that sort of weaves into to 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 their product utility. Um, that's that's an interesting one. I got I got to think for a moment. Um, on what can we do to the utility? I think you see a lot of that on like crowdfunding sites where there's some story, right? And and I was even going to talk talk about crowdfunding, but but we'll keep that. Yeah, the uh, well, I think there's a. Um, I see some brands that have created uh, more of an emphasis on community or more of an emphasis on um, on like their their more sustainable values. I know there's a brand called mm. Carbon Thirty Eight. It's a female. Um, it's like a female uh, athletic wear brand that is, I, th- I believe, like really focused on the uh, kind of sustainability and like accessibility of, of their products. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's one where I've seen that kind of, you know, people buy them, um, you know, specifically because of like their, their kind of look at their community. Um, there's another one uh, that I know is popular in more of a Gen Z brand called Starface, which is like a, uh, it's like little stickers that, you know, uh, you, you can put over like a blemish and they've done really well with their, like their kind of influencer community and their online kind of resonance around that, where it's like the product is almost secondary to being a part of the people that are kind of in, in that community and group. But, you know, I think that right. there's a lot of opportunities to kind of succeed in that space. And I think there's probably better examples. Just, uh, I don't know if I have them off the top of my head. Interesting. Interesting. And what do you think from a product, we're speaking a lot to, to um, you know, product innovation. Um, what, how do you see um, crowdfunding um, as, as another, you know, um, way to validate or as a go-to market strategy? Is it still strong? Is it still viable? I can't remember the last time I, I visited, you know, Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but that's just me. Yeah, I think... Uh... I, I feel the same way as you where I haven't personally, I used to like be in Kickstarters, you know, frequently. And, uh, and now I haven't done that in a long time, but I do know people that are doing it. And what I think there is that exists there is there's a passionate existing community of people that participate in crowdfunding. And it's not as big as it used to be. It's not as mainstream as it used to be, but those people still exist. And so if you're able to work with an agency okay. or a group that has access to those people, whether through email lists or, uh, or Facebook pixels or something of that nature, that's going to allow you to tap into that. I think it still has value to get you that initial set of customers. But I think a lot of that has just been replaced by, by TikTok and social media, where I can, go, I can go create a bunch of organic videos on TikTok about a product before it even exists and put up a pre-sale page and say, hey, I'm going to ship this in a month or sign up for the email list for it. And that's probably going to resonate more and faster if you have a good product than, than running through the whole Kickstarter process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and the relationship is more direct, you know. When when you if if you look at it that way, you get all the metrics, right? Yeah, and I, I encourage that for people all the time, where they'll say, "Hey, I don't have the money to set this up," and I'm like, "All right, well, get it locked in, and then see if it has enough resonance that people will buy it ahead of time. And if it doesn't, then you probably shouldn't release that product anyway. And if it does, and you're going to feel like you have traction, and you can take that traction to investors or to banks or to your factory, or even just know in your mind that you're going to be able to make that money back." Hmm. Right. Let's speak to to two two things that I um I I, I I hold very I'm very passionate about. One is beauty, 
you know, beauty products, there's a lot of innovation going on. There's a lot of funding going on. There's 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 a lot of switching right now, generational switching from you know products that people new generation is seeing and like, no, I want that because it aligns more with my values and actually the results are actually better. So from a beauty standpoint, how would you approach, um, you know, innovation? The other really is just the food and beverages space, whether it's drinks, whether it's food, that's another sort of space. And the, the interesting thing about these two is they tend to have localized, you know, supply chains. Um, do you want to speak to just Broadly speaking, to, to to like beauty, the beauty industry. Um, what, what are your thoughts on on you know delivering innovation there, and um, how how are you seeing the um, you know the, the best in in class brands thrive in in innovation in in beauty? So beauty is a hyper competitive niche, and so it's one of those uh, product categories where you have to be great at everything. I feel like to really to really succeed, um, and. That's not a bad thing, but I think the things that can differentiate you quickly at a small scale are uh, niches, especially with things like skin tones or skin types or skin age. And you're saying, hey, I'm making something specifically for people that have, uh, oh, they're, you know, they have this type of whatever. Uh, and then really honing in on that and working with influencers that have that same exact, you know, skin tone or type. And then working with, uh, and then really getting that message specifically to those people. That's one way to resonate. The other is ingredients and being ahead of the curve on ingredients. Like we saw it go from collagen to matcha, to charcoal, to, you know, like you kind of were really evaluating what do you think those next things are going to be and being ahead of the trend. But with any of those categories, it, what, what's interesting about beauty is you have to be continually reinventing yourself and you have to do everything well because of how fast that industry moves where you can be really successful in, in charcoal. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, that's not a popular thing anymore. And then you haven't made anything that's going to replace it and your business can just fall off a cliff. And also people spend so much money to find new customers for the first time and then those customers don't stay with them necessarily. So I think if you want to attack the beauty niche, I think you really need a comprehensive plan. And that plan needs to look mm -hmm. like, how do I have a set of core products that are going to be sellable no matter what, that just really resonate with people? And then how do I have a, a regular, I mean, every month, every two, two months, a new set of products that is more seasonal that I am experimenting with to see if they resonate and creating like a kind of like clockwork promotion technique for that. And at the same time, how do you build out a, a massive network of influencers? Because luckily it's a high margin business. So you have the ability to give away a lot of product, but you need to have a real entrenched presence inside of social media influence. And then also, how do you ensure that you're ready for distribution? Because you can have a successful D2C business inside that, but still the gatekeepers to make those businesses really move are going to be Sephora, you know, Alta, and the people that are, are able to kind of really push, push beauty wide. And to do that, that means you need to be able to have a significant amount of inventory and need to have a real retail point of sale um, experience, whether that's, you know, acrylic displays or, you know, specific, you know, uh, training or commission programs for employees. But how are you going to drive that? And I think that this is one of those experiences where you guys have to be great at everything. Packaging has to be great. Your influencer marketing has to be great. Your ad buying has to be great. And I would just know that going into it, that maybe you can have some light success, but you've really got to build out a business way more than you have to do in some other places. And, and beverages, uh, Beverage is the same, but I think the regional aspect you mentioned is a lot more important there. What I like about beverage is that if you make a great cold brew or a great water or a great any of these things, and you say, all right, I live in Tennessee, and I'm going to be the best, most popular cold brew in Tennessee, and I'm going to go to all the local grocery chains, all the local stores, all the restaurants and bars that have things on tap, and I'm going to make it resonate locally by being an amazing salesperson and having a local brand, you can 100% do that in almost any beverage category outside of these real hotbeds like Austin, where Whole Foods is based, where everyone's doing that. 
Um, and so I think that that is still a huge opportunity in food and beverage. And you, and then to go wide, you end up with the same challenges that we talked about in, in, uh, in beauty um, because of, of how competitive it is getting into grocery and then how fickle the trends are. And that was a long answer, but I have a lot of thoughts. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense in, in the sense that, um, you know, um, uh, it, it requires a lot of it, it requires a lot of passion from from a founder because um, if if they don't have passion they're not going to be able to put the work when you're talking about a two three month cadence you know which is every you know every quarter essentially you know releasing a product that that requires you know a lot of work you know and um, yeah it's it's really leadership right and and and, and team teamwork it's not easy interesting yeah not not easy at all okay let, let's talk about um your 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 um i'd like to just um you know find out more about um you know unrivaled um you know just just so, so how in, in your experience with unrivaled it was a cannabis brand you know based out in 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 um in california um how many team members were there how many um founders were there were, were you it, got it so it uh it started at about 70 team members when I came in. So basically the first step of it was combining three different companies. There was a retail mm-hmm. store in um, Southern California. There was a brand in California and there was a, uh, a distribution company in Oregon. So I think about 70 employees mm-hmm. overall. By the time we ended, it ended up being about 350 or so by the time mm-hmm. that uh, I stopped working there and it kind of cont- continued on. And in that initial start, uh, start there, was, uh, there was four founders and I came in mm-hmm. uh, kind of operationally helping uh, configure and kind of and grow the business in addition to them. And over time, you know, multiple of them exited the business, right? As kind of those mergers complete, they help facilitate some of that. And then they move on to, to other things. And then we ended up bringing in a new executive team who would be specific for the public vehicle, right? Who have experience managing businesses at that size of dealing with, you know, the, uh, the complexities and regulatory aspects of, of a business that's operating at that scale. Hmm. Hmm. Um, what can we learn? Because yeah, um, this was um, you know, a roll up. It was it was an M and A, you know, growth, um, you know, story, um, which eventually led to to its IP, IPOing from from the LinkedIn. I think it IPOed at three point five million or so. Um, but what tips can you or what takeaways did you? you know, get from that, um, from, from your experience and with Unrivaled, um, in terms of using a roll-up strategy to, towards, um, you know, um, just building better products, you know, to, you know, using roll-ups to, to build better product offering and obviously, you know, building out your, 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 um, your business eventually. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we, this, this was a pretty big roll-up, right? And so I think we, our, our market cap when we went public was 80 or $90 million, um, and it was a lot of different businesses in there. I think we did probably $60 million last year. It was a, it's a pretty large size business, right? But what I didn't realize is, uh, that we went public on what's on the OTC markets, um, which is, uh, in particular the OTC QX, uh, because they don't allow is, is plant like touching. A, scan- what, uh, so sorry, what, what's it's, an it's OTC? a different exchange. So yeah. Okay. So basically there's a, they don't allow plant touching cannabis businesses on the NASDAQ or on the big right. stock exchanges. And so there's tiered stock exchanges. Now, I didn't even know that existed. I had worked on two projects previously that had gone onto the NASDAQ. Um, and they were uh, they had done what's called a Reg A plus fundraise. And then they had eventually gone fully IPO'd. Uh, and so I was familiar with that process, you know, at least tangentially. Those weren't companies I led. It was just projects I worked on. And then, uh, but I didn't, you know, realize there's this whole sub-infrastructure of these other exchanges. And so there's what's called the pink sheets, which is basically um, uh, OTC 
Pink PNK, they they have uh, they allow you to be publicly listed, but you don't have to have audited financials. So it's considered relatively risky. Basically, you can put your business out there, whatever you say your numbers are. You don't have to have some compliant accounting business checking it, but you can still be public and invest in it. So that's an option there. And you have built it all the way up to where we were with OTCQX, which is the kind of the most akin to being a larger public company. You have to have your audits done regularly. You have to, uh, there's a ton of compliance and, and regulatory requirements, um, but you're still like not quite on the NASDAQ or the Canadian Stock Exchange or things of that nature. And so I think that raised some interesting opportunities for entrepreneurs for me because, you know, I think there is a, you know, we did it at this relatively large size. You don't have to be that size to, you know, I'd say the, if you want to have a lower level of compliance to be on some, some smaller exchanges, that may cost you $100,000 or less every year. If you want to operate on the OTC and at the highest scale, maybe that's half a million dollars every, every year in compliance and additional staff and things like that. But that means that you can access uh, potential public investment. You can access liquidity for, your, for yourself and your shareholders if you can generate uh, a certain amount of share volume, even with smaller businesses. So what I think people listening out there who run e-commerce businesses should be looking at, especially now, where we have an economic downturn, you know, assuming it's going to continue, is look at how can you combine with a few other businesses? If, you're, if you have a beauty brand, how can you find four or five other beauty brands or brands that are similar? Okay, they have SaaS that ties over to beauty or an influencer management company in beauty or a small retail chain even, so you can vertically integrate or a manufacturer. How do you combine four or five smaller businesses into a, into a larger business, save some money on costs, say, hey, we're gonna centralize accounting, we're gonna centralize marketing, we're gonna you know, vertically integrate our manufacturing. And then how do you take that combined set of businesses, say you all had a $2 million business, but now all together you have a $10 million business and say, okay, we want to do our own little roll up and bring that onto the public markets and be able to say, we believe we're actually worth, you know, this multiple on this. And we're going to tell that story to investors and, uh, and we're going to you know, hire PR and we're going to go figure that out. And I think that's a really interesting opportunity, especially while the market's low, to combine those things, execute on, on getting a vehicle. And then as the market starts to grow, take advantage of that growth and help tell your story. And I think that what I learned through this process is that this is just much easier than getting onto NASDAQ is hard and you need to have an investment bank underwriting you and there's all these, these factors. Getting on some of the smaller exchanges is not that hard. And I think any entrepreneur mm. who's gone through the process of starting their own business and some level of fundraising, they can figure it out. And so I think that that vehicle being accessible and the idea that you can combine a few companies and do that yourself is, is hugely a huge opportunity. Uh, and I think that all kinds of entrepreneurs that are connecting online should be thinking about how they're doing that with their businesses and their businesses of their, of their friends to basically create more value uh, as, as an aggregator or as a roll-up. Yeah, that, that, that is, that, that just, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. That That's just, um, yeah. Mind blowing in terms of the, the insights there. Um, what do I want to say as a follow-up? Um, do, do you think the the aggregator, um, you know, Mark? I'm not sure whether you follow the e-commerce aggregator space. Um, what, what what is your take on on these Amazon roll-ups? Um, is it is it coherent? Is it just? Well, I, I don't want to to hint any you know answers, but I, I just like your 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 take on on on, on these e-commerce yeah, aggregators. Like a, a friend of mine just had his business acquired by one of those for, you know, about a million dollars. Uh, so the, and it wasn't a huge exit or anything, but I think he was happy with it. Um, so I'm pretty familiar. And I think that look, a couple things, I think this is the first generation of those. I think some of it was a little willy nilly to start where they were just kind of buying anything and the valuations didn't quite line up. I also mm -hmm. think that some of these companies do it and they think there's going to be synergy and there's not. 
But I do think that it's an amazing vehicle if you have intelligently thought through the companies that you're buying. And if it's executed by people with operational um, acumen who are actually making, doing the deals and doing the integration is I think that we're only going to see more of it. And I think that we're just in this kind of first generation where some of them are okay, some of them aren't. Um, and I think that uh, if I was someone with, you know, if I had more capital and I was uh, looking to take advantage of the market, I would 100% be doing like Amazon fitness brands plus you know, buying a bunch of Instagram pages and email lists of things related to fitness. And then also, and then working to say, hey, maybe I can buy a small regional, you know, uh, GNC competitor and putting something like that together into a roll up. I think it's just an amazingly lucrative opportunity. Um, just, and yeah. so I think we're just starting it right now. Yeah, just cluster it up, cluster it up. We, we have a, I put out a post on, on LinkedIn a few weeks ago. I'm um, around, it was just something I was, I was looking at. I was looking at um, one of the UK's biggest fast fashion companies. Uh, it's called Boohoo PLC. Um, so they started out in 06. Then in 16, um, one of the founders' sons decided to create um, you know, another fashion brand called Pretty Little Thing um, to resonate with, with his generation, right? Um, and then after that, they, they acquired the same year in 2016, they acquired Nasty Gal, and then they made nine other acquisitions, M&As. They're a $2 billion in revenue company this year. And um, yeah, as in every, all their growth spurs have been just acquisitions. A lot of them have been like, um, you know, distressed sales, but they're turning them around. They're, re, they're integrating, you know, their technology into their, their mothership, essentially. They have this mothership um, company, and and they're they're essentially latching on these these other companies that that that's sort of like um, serve different demographics and they're just filling out gaps and and they're, they're trying to cover the entire market. So they 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 acquired one one brand called Karen Millen, and Karen Millen tends to appeal to the thirty plus professional woman, which was not in any of their brands, and they just captured that market. They messed, they screwed up the brand, to be honest. But they just captured that and, and they just kept on and kept on and kept on. And I do think in e-commerce, as you alluded to, there's been it's, it's not really been coordinated with the aggregators thus yet, but we're going to find some really formidable players in, in the mid-market e-commerce companies that are going to grow to billion-dollar companies if they know what they're doing by acquiring, by M&As, slow M&As, especially now with the, with the downturn. Um, they're going to be deals to be had, and uh, I do think it's it's there. But but it brings me to my next question, which is like innovation. You know, so they have their ways of doing things. You know, the the other companies have their their ways of doing things. You have your own way of doing things. You're obviously trying to integrate them into your um into your 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 ways of doing things. How do you uh, maintain or bring in innovation, especially if you see like a target doing really really clever things? How how do you bring that product innovation you know in sync? with your vision, with your overall vision as, as a, as a, you know, as, as a founder that wants to, to make an impact or a dent in, in, um, in a vertical. Yeah. So I think that's the hardest part is the combination of these companies and then keeping, uh, innovation as you grow. And so I think that what we tend to see is that there's people that are good operators or good business people who are acquiring these brands, but especially for brands that have any level of cool factor, like you mentioned that they messed up this, this brand that they acquired. It's yeah. very hard for those operational people to understand that. And that's why I think it takes like a real combination of a team. But it's also really hard to run innovation across many different units because the same innovation team isn't going to be able to handle a 30 plus you know, professional brand exactly. as it's going to be able to handle a Gen Z brand. 
And so I think mm-hmm. the way I like to look at it and, and recommend it is that I do think that every individual brand, I think is better off with its own small innovation team than having a bigger mm-hmm. overall innovation team. And I do think yeah. that a huge part of the, uh, the purchases for these brands, especially again, brands that have any amount of cool factor or social media influence needs to be, they, they need to focus on retaining the people that are responsible for that and then giving them some degree of autonomy and control. And they can think about all the other things when it comes to the bottom line and you know, syncing accounting or costs or factory, you can work on that, but you have to give autonomy to the creatives because I think a certain generation of business person just doesn't understand and can't kind of act on uh, supporting those people correctly. And I think they just need to give them the control. Yeah, yeah. 100, 100%. Um, so, so with that example I gave, it just looked like they'd brought that demographic to the millennial, to, to the millennial and the Gen X, Gen Z, um, you know, original demographic from their mothership. And it just didn't make any sense. You're like, you know, why drag, you know, the, the sophistication of that brand of, of Caramelin, you know, down, you know, down, down the gutters essentially. So that was quite interesting in terms of the innovation. I, I really like your points around, um, you know, autonomy um, with, with that and really, really nurturing the auto, because there's a reason why you buy the brand in the first place. They're doing something right, right? Um, so why not just, you know, water that plant and, and let it grow, right, from an innovation standpoint? Right. Um, I could go on and on and on. Um, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Aaron. Um, it's, 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 been, it's been fascinating. Is there, is there anything you want to, to cover? I, I just don't want to say, oh, shit, you know, I, I, I forgot to, to say this. I forgot to ask you this question because I, I do think there's an opportunity, you know, having you on with, with, with your expertise on, on the show. Uh, no, I mean, look, I think we had a really interesting conversation and covered uh, a wide variety of things. The only other thing I'd mention is I just I do encourage any entrepreneurs who are working on their brands to be discovering a lot of the things happening on social media themselves, spend time in their own niche on TikTok, spend time on Twitter with other entrepreneurs that are, uh, you know, sharing, you know, publicly that their stories of what they're doing. I think you can just you can gain a lot of knowledge through the communities that are online. But no, that's I think we had a really interesting conversation. Super, super, super. And I see we have um, mutual friends, you know, Nick Shackleford, you know, Chase and five others. I followed you on, um, you know, Dennis Hegstard. I followed you on on Twitter. So for those of you who want to to, to, to learn more, you know, from from Oren, um, Oren, what? Do you, do you want to to um you, you you have a website called productworld.xyz. So uh, productworld.xyz has my has my newsletter called Product People on it, which is where uh, most people get their information from me. Um, so I send it out to awesome. got, uh, you know thousands of entrepreneurs on it now. So uh, yeah, I definitely encourage everyone to sign up there. And then yeah, I'm at Oren O R E N Meets World on um, mm-hmm. on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, on TikTok, and uh, yeah, look, looking forward to to connecting with anyone. And don't hesitate to uh, I love answering questions and connecting. So don't hesitate to DM. Amazing, amazing. You're also very quite active and um, on on LinkedIn. So, yeah, terrific stuff. Thank you for for coming on the Two X Ecommerce Podcast. I um, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And on cheers, cheers. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X Ecommerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X Ecommerce listeners on our Facebook group, Ecommerce Growth Accelerator Mastermind. Just search for 2X Ecommerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. 
Catch you on the next show and keep growing.